All right, if you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Acts 14. Is it weird that we're only halfway through this book? We've been in it for 14 months now. Acts 14. Acts 14. If you're there, say a word. We're going to be looking at verse 8. Verses 8 through 21. All right. Go stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and, and had many, many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful. We're thankful for this time that we get to look at your word to hear the truth of your word, God. Pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to that truth and use me as you see fit. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, just time before this, if you want to look at it in chapter perspective, Acts chapter 9, we saw the conversion of Saul. Saul who was um, terrorizing the church is what scripture says. Terror, he, was a, he was a terrorist. But yet Christ invaded his life, transformed his heart, and saved him. And Jesus says this in Acts 9, 15 and 16. He says, but the Lord said to him, to, this is to Ananias, go for he, Saul, or Paul here, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is evangelism. And a lot of you are like, because we don't really talk about that often, do we? We don't really talk about the need to evangelize, the motivation to evangelize. We don't really talk about that often, especially right now in 2020 when we're so shut off from other people. But here's the thing. We've been shut off from other people for a while. We can't use that as an excuse when it comes to evangelism. Social media has shut us off from people. What I want to talk about this morning is this. Here's the main idea. Sharing Christ is worth the cost. That's the main idea for our text. Sharing Christ is worth the cost. What cost? Well, for Paul, it was worth the cost of his life. For us in America, we, we more than likely will not be stoned for sharing the gospel. But we could encounter consequences. You could lose your job, maybe, for sharing the gospel. You could lose friends and family members for sharing the gospel. You could lose stuff for sharing the gospel. But we need to remember that Christ, sharing Christ, is worth the cost because Christ is worth the cost. And Paul shows us that here in this text. So I told you I got like a 10 point sermon. It's really seven points, but one of my points has three sub points. You ready? I was in line. <laughs> you ready? Point one. Point one. When it comes to sharing Christ, and if it is really worth the cost, point one, we should, we should take every opportunity. We should take every opportunity when it comes to sharing Christ. Look at verse 8. Now at Lystra. Now there, he has left Iconium for threat of their life. They fled, went to Lystra. It's about 20 miles south of Iconium. And in Lystra, there is no Jewish synagogue. There may be a few Jews in Lystra, but there's no synagogue. And y'all remember what we've talked about. Paul and Barnabas's strategy was to go into the city and go to the synagogue first. But there is no synagogue. So what does Paul do? He picks a street corner and he starts preaching. Verse 8, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. So Paul is sharing the gospel in this situation. He has found an opportunity to share the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that you should take every opportunity to grab your Bible and find a street corner and preach. Some of you shouldn't be doing that anyway, maybe. But we should take every opportunity when it comes to having conversations with people. How, how, how often are you having conversations with people? A lot throughout the day, maybe. Whether it's on social media or texting, phone calls, or even at the grocery store, wherever you are, at, at your jobs, you're having conversations with people. And we should take every opportunity we can to share Christ. Dr. Booker 
from Southern Seminary. He's my evangelism professor currently. He's got this book out called Overcoming Walls to Witnessing. And he shares within this book these barriers that, pro, that, 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 that prohibit us from sharing the gospel, that, 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 that hold us back. Some of those barriers include a barrier of fear. How many in here have a fear of sharing the gospel with people? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just asking. We have a fear maybe of rejection. We don't know how people are going to take it. And we don't know if we're going to have a conversation with them later. They might never want to talk to you again because you're some radical nut. Then we have a fear of, of maybe just not wanting to talk to people. There's a, there's a fear that we have. Maybe another barrier would be a fear of rejection. A fear of failure. That maybe we just, we just don't know what to say. That barrier would also fall under a barrier of ignorance. We, we, just, we just don't feel like we know what to, what to say when it comes to sharing the gospel. Maybe it's a barrier of, ath- of apathy in which we don't desire to share the gospel. And we need to repent of that. Maybe it's a barrier of busyness where we feel like we just can't ever find the time. A lot of us feel like we're really busy, constantly going. I dare you to check the amount of time you're on social media on your phone to really figure out how busy you are. We have these barriers in in place that prohibit us from sharing the gospel. And we need to let go of these barriers. We need to overcome these barriers so that we can take every opportunity we can to share the gospel. There are ways to overcome them. Because here's the thing that we need to understand, church. What's more important? What's more important? Our comfort or our time or someone else's eternity? One fear, just to be transparent, I have a fear of, of rejection. That's my fear. I have a fear that somebody's just not going to want to talk to me anymore because I shared the gospel with them. But the, the thing is, is, That means that I am more afraid of how somebody thinks about me than about their eternity. We need to repent of that. We must take every opportunity to share Jesus. Paul sees the opportunity to preach and to even heal a guy. Because as Paul is looking at him, the Spirit is giving him some insight. It says in verse 9, Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. The Spirit's given him some type of insight that he has a faith that will heal him. Now, the Spirit may not give you that kind of insight when looking at somebody, but when you're talking to a friend or a coworker or a loved one, the Spirit might be tugging at you to share Jesus with them. For example, I have a friend of mine who is an atheist. And um, a couple years ago, he was completely distraught because his, his girlfriend, him and his girlfriend had, had broken up. It was, it was more mutual, but it still hurt him. It wasn't a good fit anyway, but, but he was hurt. And in tears, as I listened to him and as I consoled him, I brought up how in these situations, in these circumstances, it's my faith that gets me through these trials. 
Because I know that with God there are no accidents. And that he's working within my life. And that because of Jesus and what he's done for me on the cross, I can get through it. That was an opportunity to bring Christ into the conversation. Because the Spirit had opened up a door, opened up an opportunity. Church, we must take every opportunity to share Jesus. And, 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 and as we do that, point two, as we do that, we must, point two, rely on God's power. So as we take every opportunity, we must rely on God's power as we share Christ. Paul tells this man in verse 10, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. This man who was lame at birth was told to stand up and walk. The dude did a jig when, when, when he did it. He was excited. Paul heals this guy. Now, it's not because Paul has superpowers. Paul does not have superpowers, but God was working through Paul to heal this guy. He was relying on God's power. Now, hear me say this. It's hard for me to believe that people have the healing power. Because the people that you see on TV who claim to have that healing power, I never see them walk in the hallways of St. Jude's Children's Hospital. I don't. But who does have the power to heal? God does. God has the power to transform. So we are to rely on God's power. Now here are my three subpoints for this point. How do we rely on God's power? One, through prayer. Through prayer. Church Spurgeon tells us that, 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 that we, that, that people that are headed to hell must be tripping over our bodies as we are on our hands and knees in prayer for their souls. How do we expect people to be saved if we're not praying for them to be saved? We're relying on our power when we don't pray for other people to be saved. It is mine and my wife's daily prayer that God would save our two boys. Because man, do they need it. There's a couple of heathens living in my house and they need Jesus. But I know that it's not, it's, it's not going to be up to me and Tara. It's God that lifts the veil. It's God that does the saving work. But it's up to me and Tara to share Jesus with them. So if we're not on our hands and knees in prayer for people to be saved, we're wasting our time. We rely on God's power through prayer. Secondly, we rely on God's power through his providence. What do I mean by that? Church, you are placed in a specific place for God's purpose. Where you live at, in your neighborhood, on your street, where you work at, where you shop for groceries at, when you go and get gas in your car, God is strategically putting you in places to live on mission. So we rely on God's power as he providentially places us in, in, in opportunities. It's weird. If you would wake up in the morning and pray for God to place somebody in your path to share the gospel with, God would do it. It's a dangerous prayer. God is going to answer that. We rely on God's power by trusting in his providence. In church, you do not have to go far to find somebody that's lost. You don't. And if you're going to sit here and tell me that you don't know one single lost person, 
I wouldn't believe you. We trust in God's providence. Thirdly, here's the third point of point two. We trust in God's provision. Trust in God through prayer, through his providence, and through his provision. We rely on God's power by trusting God will provide in those situations of evangelism. Trust me, I get a little nervous when I start sharing my faith. I do. I get I get nervous. But here's the beauty of it. The Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. In Luke 12, 12, Jesus tells his disciples that when they are brought before the synagogues and authorities, that they shouldn't be anxious on how to defend themselves because the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say. I believe that is even true today for our day-to-day conversations when we start sharing our faith with people. That we trust that God's going to provide for us. Not only will he provide the words for us, he's going to provide the courage for us. He's going to provide the opportunities for us. Now hear me say this though. If you're not in your Bible, if you're not, if you don't know scripture, if, if you don't know the gospel, it's going to be hard for the spirit to bring words to your mouth. Not hard for the spirit, but it's going to be hard for you to be able to share the gospel. When we, when we hide God's word in our hearts, it's the spirit that brings that scripture to our mouths when we share the gospel. So there is, there is an approach to where we take part in that. To where we need to be in God's word. So point two, we are to rely on God's power. Just as Paul relied on God's power, so, so should we. We can't do this on our own. So as we take every opportunity to share Jesus and rely on God's power to do so, number three, we must share Christ with humility. We share Christ with humility. Look at what happens after Paul heals this this guy. Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Uh Uh-oh. See, Paul and Barnabas, don't, they don't know like a, like a onion. They don't know this language. They don't know what they're saying. In verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus, probably because he was the elder of the, of the two. And Paul Hermes, because he was the message bearer. Because he was the chief speaker. Verse, thir- verse 13, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. They they, they tore their clothes. They tore their clothes, which is a response to heresy. And they run out and it's their, it's their intention to show them that they are not who they say they are. As we share Jesus with those, we, we must do so in a way that helps people see that there is nothing special or better about us. Just because I know Jesus and this other person doesn't, that doesn't make me better. I am still as much in need of God's grace as that person is. 
And I'm probably as worse of a sinner as that person is. I recently read about a megachurch pastor who is no longer pastoring because he fell into this horrible sin. I'm not going to drop names. I'm not going to go into detail about the sin. But this guy would not spend time with people at his church. Instead, on Sunday morning, he would sit in what is known as a green room, which is where celebrities go before they go on TV. They got their, you know, red M&Ms in a bowl, hair, you know, hairstylist, you know what I'm saying? The green room. He would sit in his green room getting ready to come out and speak. And the only people that he would associate with at that time were celebrities who would come and visit his church. Pop singers, movie stars, like he was special and better than other people. Church, I am your pastor, but that doesn't mean that I am better than you. It doesn't mean that I am more special than you. It doesn't mean that there's anything divine within me. Actually, I'm held to a higher accountability than you are. I'm going to have a stricter judgment than you will. But we see that here Paul isn't isn't speaking down about themselves. He's just showing them that they too are sinners just like these pagans in Lystra. We are just as in need of Jesus as they are. C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And Paul and Barnabas are thinking of themselves less because they don't want to take the credit for what happened to the lame man that was healed. They want to give all the credit to the one creator, to the one true God. And they want the people to know who Jesus is. So as they share Christ with humility, as as they're doing that, they're doing it in a way That shows that they, number four, point four, they know their audience. When we share the gospel with people, when we're looking, talking to our co-workers, our friends, our family members, we need to know our audience. How is it that Paul and Barnabas know their audience here? Verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? We We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. How is it that Paul and Barnabas, through that message knew their audience? They didn't mention Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Like they did in the Jewish synagogues. Because these these people in Lystra, they would have no idea who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. So they go to God. That's where they go. They they know their audience. They go straight to God. Paul starts telling them about God meeting them where they are. He, He shares with them how God is creator of all things, how God has called their... How God has called their idolatry vain and how they should turn to the living. Sorry, to the living God. I'm choking on my spit. <clears throat> I 
God, Paul's pointing them there. And then he even shows them how God was patient with them. So, so look, he tells them, we are men of like nature with you. Turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He points to God as creator, not as Zeus or Hermes or Aphrodite or, 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 or Poseidon. I about said Perseus. That, that's not part of that. And so like y'all, y'all know what I'm, what I'm talking about. And so he, he's not mentioning these other polytheistic gods that, 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 that they believe in. He's mentioning the one true God, the one God that has created all things. And then in verse 16, he says, even this God was patient with you. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. What does that mean? That, 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 that he did not strike you dead for being rebellious. For not following you when, when God had every right to do that. We see God as creator. We see God as patient. And then verse 17, yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God is creator. God is patient. God as providential. He's the one that gave you the rains. He's the one that gave you the good harvest. He's the one that gave you the blessings. He's the one that gave you gladness. This is that God. Turn from your vain idols and turn to the one true and living God. Church, we live in a world today where this message wouldn't fly. Isn't isn't the Christian God like all the other gods? According to this passage, no. No. But wait, isn't 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 the Jewish God and the and the Islamic God the same God? No. But isn't Jesus and Buddha and and, and Krishna and all them on the same level? No. Jesus is the one true Savior. God is the one true living God. There are no other gods. None. Know your audience, church. Know your audience. I've been texting a friend of mine over the past couple of weeks who has a big misunderstanding of why we need to be saved. Because his whole life he was taught something different about God and sin. And so my conversation with him is going to be different than it would be with somebody who was raised in church. Or somebody who has read their Bible. We need to know our audience. We must know our our audience as we share Jesus with them. Um, And so here in this conversation we see that Paul doesn't get to Jesus. It's okay, baby. I'm almost done. We see that Paul doesn't get to Jesus. Here's the thing with with evangelism. Paul didn't fail here. Paul Paul struck up a conversation that's got them thinking. The the best thing we can do in evangelism, it doesn't mean that we have to get to God, man, Christ in response. We just got to get them thinking. Headed on that direction. Because... The conversation we have with somebody is going to be one of many, possibly, that they're going to have. So Paul just gets them thinking. 
In verse 18, we see, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So did all of them turn to what Paul was saying? No. So did Paul fail here? No. Because Paul spoke up. He spoke up. Not every conversation is going to produce the results you want. And you need to be okay with that. Because you still did the right thing by speaking up. The only time evangelism is a failure is when you're not evangelizing. Point five. We need to recognize the risk. We need to recognize the risk. Now listen, the risk doesn't mean that we should stop sharing Christ. The risk, recognizing the risk just means we shouldn't be surprised when opposition comes. Look at verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now these are, these are the two places Paul and Barnabas just came from. Antioch is a hundred miles from Lystra. These Jews have been traveling from Antioch. And then they went to Iconium and gathered more people. Paul's got a mob after him. And then they come into Lystra. But Jews came from these places and having persuaded the crowds, the crowds who were just about to make a sacrifice to them, they persuaded them. And stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. We need to recognize the risk of sharing Christ. It doesn't mean that we should be afraid of sharing Christ. But it means that we shouldn't be surprised when opposition comes. Here in, in, in America, we don't see that type of threat on our lives to share Jesus. The type of threat that we're seeing in China right now, where people are being jailed for sharing Christ. We don't see that type of threat. That doesn't mean it's not coming. But the type of threat we do see is that type of threat where we have a fear of offending people. We have a fear of people not liking us because we're sharing the faith. Understand that you might lose a loved one. Because you are a Christian. You might lose a friend because you shared Christ with them. Understand that it is worth the cost. Because I would rather risk losing a friend than keeping them happy and watching them die and go to hell. Point five, recognize the risk. Point six. Point six. As we recognize the risk, we need to trust God's protection. Verse 19. We see that Paul was dragged out of the city and they supposed that he was dead. But then verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. The boy got off the ground, dusted his shoulders off, and marched right back into that city. And then the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. 
We need to understand that even though opposition may come, we need to trust God's protection. This was a miracle. Now, we don't know whether or not he really died. But there's a miracle in the sense that he's okay. They thought he was dead. And they drug him out. Church, we need to trust that God's going to provide for us. For instance... Maybe you'll lose your job for sharing Christ. Shouldn't we trust that God's going to provide for us even when something like that happens? Maybe you'll lose a family member or a friend. Isn't Christ enough? We may be alone in this world because we are faithful followers of Jesus, but Christ should be enough for us. You may lose your friends, but you'll never lose the friend you have in Jesus. He's worth it. We trust God's protection. And then point seven, we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. My kids love this movie called Meet the Robinsons. It's got that dinosaur in it. <laughs> I got a really big head and little arms. You know what I'm talking about? But in the, yeah, okay, good. That was, that'd be embarrassing if nobody got it. But in this movie, it's about this little kid inventor. And he invents all these, all these gadgets. He's a genius. It's an animated movie. And part of his life motto is keep moving forward. Every time an, uh, an invention fails, you pick it up, you move on, you, you keep moving forward. You try to make it better. You try to do something better. Now hear me say this. I don't mean keep moving forward in the sense of if you fail at evangelism, pick yourself up and keep going. I mean... Keep moving forward in the sense of whenever opposition comes and people don't like you and you've lost a friend or you lost a job or, or you have a threat on your life because you're sharing Christ, you keep moving forward. You don't stop. You don't stop sharing Jesus. What did Paul do? Paul got up and the next day he went to Derby. What happened in Derby? Verse 21. There they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Understand this too, church. Through Paul's preaching in Lystra, there's a unique individual that gets saved. That's not mentioned in this passage, but is mentioned later in Scripture. Do you know who that person is? Timothy. Timothy. It was in Lystra, under Paul's preaching, that Timothy comes to know Christ. So church, understand that we are to keep moving forward, even though we feel that one conversation doesn't produce the results that we want it to, another one might. But understand this too. Somebody's salvation is not, is not based on you saving them. It's not your responsibility to save people because you can't. It's God's responsibility. It's your responsibility to share Christ because he's worth it. So church, I know that you have friends and family members and co-workers who are lost Parents, your children, are they lost? 
Are your siblings lost? Are your co-workers lost? We have a responsibility to share Christ. And we need to risk it all. Because I'm going to tell you, Billy Graham said, said, said this. He said, you might be the only Bible somebody ever reads. But understand that I'm not pushing a lifestyle evangelism here. St. Francis of Assisi allegedly said, Share the gospel always. If necessary, use words. It's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. It's like saying, feed the hungry always. If necessary, use food. We are to use words. We are to share the gospel with our mouths. People are to hear it. And we should not hold it in. So church, are we going to be like Paul? Are we going to be willing to risk it all? I mean, really, Paul risked death. What are we going to risk? Humiliation? One less friend? I've got a 500 of them on Facebook. I don't know half of them. But really... I hope the Spirit is tugging at your heart this morning. I hope God is putting on your heart somebody in your life that you need to share the gospel with. That maybe it's time to have that conversation with. Now is that time. You and they are not promised tomorrow. So what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. God, I pray that you would help us to have a desire to share Christ with the world. Use us as you see fit within our communities, within our neighborhoods, within our jobs, even within the grocery store, God, to have gospel encounters with people. Help us, Lord, to bring up Christ in our conversations. Help us to overcome those barriers that we may have. God, help us. Help us as we seek to live a gospel-centered life on mission. Because God, the greatest mission field that we are in is the one that you've already placed us in. So Lord, we ask that you would place somebody on our hearts that we need to reach out to. Lord, I pray that you would convict us in where we need to grow in our knowledge of the scriptures and of the gospel so that we can share it. God, help us. Help us to overcome our fear of sharing Christ. I pray that you would use us. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing, Have Thine Own Way.
Your desire is to share Christ. And I hope that we have a stronger desire to share Christ than a fear to not share Christ. And so if you struggle with that, understand that you're not alone. But that doesn't mean that we should be okay with it. It means that we should overcome it. Because I would rather lose a friend than make a friend happy and watch them die and go to hell. That's just me. If you don't agree with that, man, you might need to come to know Jesus. (laughs) All right. Any announcements we need to make? All right. Well, visitors, it's good to see y'all. I see the babies had to make their way out. I guess they didn't like my preaching. But um, come back next Sunday. We're continuing in the book of Acts. Um, and uh, Wednesday night, Apostles Creed Adult Bible Study here in the sanctuary at 6.30. Youth will start in the fellowship hall at 6. Um, and so uh, I hope you guys can come and be a part of that. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Um, Vincent, will you close this out, man?